And I remember just being quiet. And the and my boss, who was the president then after the meeting, pulled me aside and he goes, Brandy, you were, you know, you were so quiet. And I remember saying and having just a really, a really authentic conversation with him about the fact that, hey, I am just I'm looking around this room and you've got people who have been with this company for 20, 30 years who come mm -hmm. from this background of engineering. And at that moment, not really understanding the role that I played and him telling me that is why you were here. Right. Like you're bringing a different perspective. That was Brandy Davis Handy, Chief Customer Officer of U.S. Utilities at the AES Corporation, talking about how transparency, authenticity, and inclusion of all people are critical for the success of any corporate DEI initiative and its community impact. And this is IBJ's The Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. So, Brandy, welcome to the second anniversary episode. It's hard to imagine we're already on our second year of the Freedom Forum. It's so exciting to have you here. But before you get started, I'd like you to tell our listeners a bit about you, your educational and professional background, and all the factors that have led to you becoming the Chief Customer Officer of U.S. Utilities at AES Corporation. Yeah, well, first, congratulations on the second anniversary. And I I want to thank you for inviting me to be on. I, I really appreciate just the thoughtful way that you're bringing forward the topic of not just DEI, but also leadership across Central Indiana. So thanks so much for inviting me. Uh, a little bit about myself. I was born and raised here in Indy, yeah. Lawrence Central grad, and moved away, went to for college and left then uh, I went to Hampton University. So there's a tradition in my family to attend an historically black college or university. My dad graduated from Tennessee State, yeah. my mom, Tuskegee, my sister, Florida A&M University. And so I headed to Virginia and went to HU. Yeah. We say the real HU for those Howard grads out there. <laughs> um, and then found myself coming back to Indy in 2005. I met my husband in college and we lived in North Carolina for a few years, but then he got a job offer in Indy, which brought me home and excited to be back ever since. That's awesome. Wow. So excited to have you back and because you've been doing such amazing things. Thank I've you. known you since you've been back. Didn't appreciate all the history and that you were actually moving back home, but I did get to learn a little bit more about you as I was preparing for this and realized that you started off in media yeah. and as a TV personality. And then you've made this transition into communications and public relations and have worked in that capacity in an array of different industries and fields, including motorsports, healthcare, the financial industry, and now <laughs> utilities. So you've run the gamut. And that's pretty impressive career progression and navigation. And so I'd like to ask you, when you were just starting off in your career path, what did you aspire to do? When were you aware of all the career opportunities that were available in your field? And when did you realize that you had a unique opportunity to really lead and influence in your now company, but many companies? particular perspective on public relations, how they're viewed in the community. How did you learn about that? And as it's related to the DEI space? Yeah, my journey has been interesting. You know, my degree at Hampton was in broadcast journalism, mass media arts with an emphasis in broadcast journalism. Honestly, from the time I was probably eight years old, I wanted to be a reporter. And so I always tell people I'm going to be the next Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. I remember running to get the Indianapolis Star, going down to our basement, sitting on a bar stool and reading the head 
headlines to my parents. Uh, I remember watching the local uh, news stations and probably around the time I think I was in middle school or high school, I remember seeing Liz Daly on Wish TV and writing her a letter and being able and the impact of seeing someone who looked like me on local news and knowing that this is something that I could do. And I think that that's really essential, especially as we talk about DEI and what our teams look like and the makeup of our our corporations. You yeah. honestly, and you know, I know it's cliche to say it, but you have to see it to believe it sometimes. Yeah. And I remember for me, that was a defining moment, uh, seeing people like Liz Daly, uh, who was on TV and something else that she was focused on was the community impact, which was something that was always a part of how I, how I grew up. The thing I appreciate most about my parents is growing up here in Indy, they made sure that I was out and took part in so many of the organizations and opportunities. I went through the Center for Leadership Development. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned motorsports. I, and I'll, I'll talk about my career path. I did spend some time working at the 500 Festival, but I remember going downtown every year and watching the 500 Festival Parade atop yeah. the landmark building on Meridian. And so, so many of these organizations that really, I believe, molded me to the person that I am today. I feel really blessed to be in a position where I can help impact uh, those missions, whether it's through our corporate giving or serving on boards. So, you know, I, I grew up wanting to be a reporter. My degree was in journalism. My first job uh, out of college was at WECT. It was an NBC affiliate in Wilmington, North Carolina, and spent about six, seven years working as a broadcast journalism. My focus was crime reporting. I worked in wow. Wilmington, worked in Raleigh. And my husband at the time after college was in the military. And when he got out of the military, he got a job offer here in Indianapolis. And I remember coming back to Indy, having conversations with some of the TV stations here, but also really thinking about, you know, what is, you know, this is an opportunity to really think about what your next move is, Brandy. Right. And I realized then that there's a number of ways to tell stories. It's not necessarily in front of the camera. Right. And I started meeting with a lot of people locally who are on the PR side. And so my first PR job um, outside of reporting was at NDOT. And so from there, I really, I, I loved and appreciated everything that I did uh, on the reporting side. But it's also really fulfilling to switch from here, here I am telling you about the story to understanding some of the great things that the companies in this city are doing and how, you know, through my work, can I help influence whether it's the resources, the tools that you need, how, how you keep your customers up to date. Yeah. And so I've worked uh, in a number of industries as it relates to PR, NDOT, the 500 Festival. I worked for the American Cancer Society. You mentioned One America, but it was really when I went to then IPL, now AES Indiana yeah. in 2013, where, you know, at that time, I really thought communications is my passion. And upon coming to AES, I just grew a love for the energy industry because it's, you know, it's one of those things and I get it. No one, there are some bills that no one wants to pay, um, but it's an essential <laughs> service. And for me, I think at the heart, being a storyteller, understanding, you know, what really goes on behind the scenes to the point where someone flips the switch, there's so much. Uh, and I really have grown just such an appreciation for what happens in the energy industry, but also during this time, which were at great transition. And so in 2013, when I started with the company, 99% of how we were generating electricity was through coal. Uh, and so as you look at the progression that we've made uh, within this industry and how we're looking to not only keep rates affordable for our customers, but do it in a way that's more sustainable.
sustainable, cleaner and greener for our environment, uh, we've made a lot of strides. And so it's been really fascinating to see that transition take place Mm -hmm. and also a transition where we're trying to keep our customers top of mind in terms of meeting their needs of affordability, reliability and sustainability. Man, that is so impressive. And I want to touch more on the public relations piece. But before we do that, I want to ask you about being an HBCU alum. Um, You said you came from a a fast family history of HBCU alums. And we've talked a lot on this show about some of the pros and cons of HBCUs as compared to predominantly white institutions. You're one of the first alums of HBCU that I've had on who can actually speak to. What are some of the things that you think particularly enriched your self, your professional environment, the way you carry yourself in attending an HBCU? And what had you learned from your family before attending that you really wanted to make sure you earn, gain, glean from that experience? Yeah, I mean, I remember from a young age, you know, my dad saying, you're going to go to Tennessee State. You know, my parents did everything to expose me to the different HBCUs that were out there. And also, you know, I applaud organizations like uh, the Black Expo. And I remember going to their college fairs and there was such a big presence from, especially around the Circle City Classic, from the HBCUs. Mm -hmm. And it was, and I in my mind, I had kind of set where I was going to go. And then I think it was my junior year, uh, I toured Hampton University. And I just was in awe because that is four years of my life. I would not, you know, I wouldn't change for anything. And I keep telling my kids, you know, I want you to do, I want them to have their own path, but I highly recommend, (laughs) you know, you consider an HBCU because for me, you know, growing up in Indy, and I think for many of us, I can, you know, I've got more stories than not of the time where I was the only black woman in the room. I was the only person at the table. And, you know, my parents always telling me, you've got to be cognizant of that. There's a certain way that you need to show up. And then walking into the doors of the HBCU where everyone looked like me and everyone, you know, it's not about. We are, you know, students coming to the school. We want to learn more. We want to build relationships, but race not being a thing, right. not being something that we were thinking of. And that is honestly, as I, you know, I'm 44 years old. That's four years of my life where I could put race aside. Mm. And it wasn't about that. Mm. And uh, I just feel like that's an experience that. Honestly, I think unless you have gone to an HBCU, you've probably never had in your life. Mm -mm. That is very powerful. And I appreciate that perspective because it is one, again, that me not having been there couldn't appreciate you putting it in that framework. I think every person of color can absolutely appreciate, my goodness, four whole years out of my life where I don't have to think about being the only one in the room, where I don't have to worry about whether I didn't get that promotion or that opportunity because of my race or my gender or whatever. I think a lot of people would pay a lot of good money to have an experience like that because you're right. I've never experienced that. I don't know what that is to be in any environment, educational, career-wise, whatever the case may be, and not have to consider race as a as a thing. So that's very powerful. And I think you just made the case if anybody was wondering why HBCUs and why they're so valued and so appreciated. Okay, so let's get back to the professional piece. From your communications and PR lens, what is some of your rationale to convince companies to recognize that the public is really paying attention to what they're doing, to the actions and efforts they're putting behind diversity, equity, 
and inclusion initiatives, programs, events, et cetera. That is beyond just what they say is also what they're doing. And people are paying attention to that. What do you think about as a communications professional when you're trying to put that corporate story in front of the public, but also recognizing that the public is watching and they know BS when they see it and hear it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, there? There's a couple of ways I want to answer this question. The public is absolutely watching, but I think it first starts with what is happening inside your company, because mm. in order for you to influence the best outcomes, uh, you've got to make sure that you've got an empowered workforce. Mm. And, you know, if your people uh, don't believe in what you're saying, it's going to stop right there. So That's it starts right. internally. And I remember it was my first week at AES. And I remember Amos Brown calling me and saying, hey, I want you to come on the show. And I vividly remember his opening music and him coming on and saying, sitting with me. Um, actually, he did this twice. He did it when I was at the 500 Festival. And then uh, AES, and he goes, you know, sitting with me is Brandy Davis Handy. AES, then IPL, has hired a black leader. And I remember like that being the headline in the opening. And me in that moment, and, and I started as the director of external communications. I was the spokesperson for IPL. In my mind, I'm a communicator. I've had a number of communication roles. I wasn't thinking that I was coming to this large company in Indy and, you know, a- as a black woman, I just thought I'm going into this PR role. And after that, having conversations with him and other people, kind of understanding the significance of, you know, how many before me, and there had been, you know, very few, right, probably a week later, I started getting emails and calls from various people in the company, not just sitting, you know, downtown in our corporate headquarters. I remember specifically someone from our Harding Street plant calling me wanting to have lunch and saying, I just wanted to meet you in person and tell you how proud I am of you. And it really hit me then and there that I'm not just here to tell stories and be the spokesperson for this company. I've got an opportunity to really open doors and let's let's start inside and talk about, you know, the people who are here helping us do what we do and how can I help tell their stories and help uplift them. And so uh, it was really that interview uh, with Amos that was a defining moment for me. The other part that I I would answer this question is, you know, as I think back to 2020 uh, and what happened after the George Floyd murder is that you had so many companies, large and small, making these very public commitments of what they were going to do differently. Um, And here we are, I think, three years later. And so and at that time and, you know, it was different. We were in the pandemic. We're closed in. And so everyone is on social media. Everyone's talking about what they're going to do differently. And I feel like now we're finally in this place where I don't know if we're ever going to be back to normal, but I think we're back to our new normal. And I think companies are now seeing, and I think you're, and I'm hearing stories where you've got some companies that you have a large amount of, you know, black leaders uh, leaving the organizations because the reality is not only is the public going to hold you accountable, your people are going to hold you accountable. So for everyone who was posting, here's, you know, here's our diversity statement. Here are the things that we're going to do. This is what we're doing differently uh, for our customers. Uh, You're going to be held accountable to that. Yeah, I I think there is a lot of come to Jesus moments happening right now because it has been three years. It has been enough time to do something if you were trying to do something. And you're exactly right. People internally and externally are watching to see 
social media still exists that they can go back to those posts in 2020 and 2021 and see what you were committing to and see what outcomes have come from that. So I think that's really, really important. And I particularly appreciate it from a communications professional whose job is to make sure the public gets the message that the company wants, but also that the company appreciates what the public perception is and whether they're truly living up to the commitments that they've made and how to continue working toward that end. Any further thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, one thing I would add is, you know, thinking back to 2020 for me. And so at at that time, I wasn't at AES. I actually left AES in 2018 and returned in 2021. And that's a larger story of, I think I left and realized not only Brainy, do you love communications? You've really grown to love this industry. Uh, But I remember at the company that I was at in in 2020, serving as uh, chief marketing officer, having this conversation of like what we were going to do publicly, what we were going to put on social media. And in that moment, I had my, you know, hat as a marketer, as a communicator, but also as a black woman. Right. And and what I believe and I and for me, I've always focused on I've got to do the right thing in terms of my personal values and what I stand for. And also knowing that I'm representing not just myself, but so many other people. And I remember us having this conversation about what we wanted to post on social media. And I said, we're not going to post it. And I go, I believe that I believe that we're having a very sincere conversation. I believe that everyone is wanting to go this direction, but we're not there yet. And we're our first, you know, the first action shouldn't be posting something, something publicly. It should be a conversation with our people. Right. Let's bring all of our people together and think about how we're going to look at this moving forward. And I think that that, you know, that's really important for me from a communication standpoint of being authentic. I yes, I am. I'm in PR. I'm a communicator. But I always approach the work that I'm doing with an authentic lens of I'm not going <laughs> to. It, it is what it is. If we're putting it out there, we're going to be honest and truthful about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to change the narrative to make it easy when it's not necessarily easy. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, listen, I had an opportunity to speak with Jeff Harrison. I'm sure, you know, mutual yeah. friend and colleague, um, CEO of Citizens Energy. So, of course, in the utility space as well. And some of the conversation we had was about corporate authenticity. So you spoke about your individual authenticity. And we'll talk about that in a bit as well. But I'd like to ask what unique aspects of DE&I are specifically related to your communications position? You've talked about the need to, for you to be individually authentic when putting information out about the company and also be true to what the company's going through internally as well. How does your position in communications, how may it differ from other leadership positions in DE&I, not just in AES, but in other Indiana corporations and companies that are not necessarily in the utilities or industry space? Yeah. Look, for me, looking at everything through a DEI lens is core. And so that has got to be a part of the culture that I have within my team or I'm not going to be successful. And so, and not even from a communication standpoint. So I'm, I'm currently serving as the chief customer officer and under that umbrella is communications, is our corporate giving, it's our contact centers, our relationship managers with our business accounts. It's all of those things. And as I think about our ability, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, our focus is to meet not, you know, the three objectives of reliability, affordability, 
and sustainability for our customers. The reality is all of our customers are different yeah. and I'm not going to be able to give the best experience and get the best outcomes for my customers if I don't have a team that is diverse and that can bring the different ideas and challenges that we have in terms of what are the right communications? What are the right approaches? Approaches? What do we need to do uh, differently? Yeah. And I'm never going to get there if we don't start from a place of diverse thought. Yeah. And to, to me, it's everything. It's number one. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to attend a women in energy conference for the first time um, that was held here in Indiana. And it's no surprise that um, like any STEM focused field, they had a whole session about diversity, equity and inclusion and the need for more women leaders in the utility and industry space. And you just talked about the fact that when you kind of came back to AES, you got all this publicity about being the first black woman and it didn't really dawn on you how significant that may have been until you began getting that kind of publicity and visibility. So my my question is, what do you believe are some of the unique challenges faced by women and particularly diverse women in business settings and corporate leadership in Indiana and across the country, whether in private practice or corporate leadership or in registered industries like utilities? And what can Indiana employers do to really address some of these issues that diverse women specifically to make them feel more included, more accepted, more valued, not just in the workforce, but also in leadership and advancement opportunities and positions in the corporate roles? I think one of the biggest challenges for women, and it starts almost, and, and speaking for myself, and this is what I've seen and where I really saw my career change, is self-limiting beliefs. And so mm. there, was a, a, there was a part of my career where I was always so thankful for whether it was the title that I was given, the salary I was given, the opportunity opportunity. And then I, I remember being promoted to communications leader for AES uh, US, I think it was in 2015. And that was my, uh, at that point, I advanced to being a part of our senior leadership team for the US. And I remember being in our first senior leader meeting and looking around the table and no one looking like me. And so I think there was one other woman, all, you know, and it, it was all white men. And I remember just being quiet. And, the, and my boss, who was the president then after the meeting pulled me aside and he goes, Brandy, you were, you know, you were so quiet. And I remember saying and having just a really, a really authentic conversation with him about the fact that, hey, I am just, I'm looking around this room and you've got people who have been with this company for 20, 30 years who mm -hmm. come from this background of engineering. And at that moment, not really understanding the role that I played and him telling me that is why you were here. Right. Like you're bringing a different perspective. And it's interesting that sometimes you have to hear that from other people to believe it. And it was that moment where I realized that, you know, I had having wanted to have started out by being a reporter and then being a communications professional, I never envisioned myself in the C-suite or sitting around those tables. Uh, and I don't know why. And I think that that is something that not just women, but I think women sometimes can do it more if we have these self-limiting beliefs. And it's typically based off of what you see around you. And so if I see whether it's my mother or my sister or my friends get to this certain point in their career, I know I can get that. And what I love about, you know, today in 2023 is that we've 
we've got so many female, you know, presidents and CEOs and other women in C-suite positions. When I left AES in 2018 and came back in 2021, I felt like I was at a different company. And so, you know, I our, our president right now uh, is a woman. I sit on a leadership team with multiple women, the head of our transmission and distribution. So our whole operations business for both Indiana and Ohio is a female. And I think that the biggest challenge is that shift of, you know, limiting ourselves yeah. and feeling like we have to fit a mold or go through a certain pathway that someone else did. And what I've realized is that I create my own pathway. Yeah. I don't have to do what others did. Uh, and I think that that's, it, it's, it serves as a great example and it's great to get you going, but do not limit yourself. Just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean that it, it can't happen. I think that people like yourself and myself and so many others of the women leaders and diverse women leaders leaders that we know in the community, I mean, continue to personify. You are exactly right that you don't have to see it, but it does help every now and then um, that it's it's doable, that your aspirations are reachable, that your goals are achievable. And so the more of us that we have out here, you know, I think those barriers come down. You know, we say all the time, you can be us if you see us. To be us, you need to see us. You know, there's a thousand ways to say the same thing. And I think it is important, but you are absolutely right. We don't need to limit ourselves. There's enough limited barriers and obstacles out there that we don't need to provide them for ourselves. And when we support each other, so many great things can happen. I, you know, it's interesting when I compare, you know, my network of friends today to maybe even five years ago, I've got, I can think of four or five people right now that I serve on their personal board of advisors. And so I'm sure, and so like, I see so many more women doing this. And I think that that is awesome. And I just had a meeting with a friend last week and she's got five of us who are serving on her personal board and we're holding her accountable. And our conversation was, what are the things that you want to accomplish for the second half of the year? What can we do personally to help you get there? Who do you need to be connected with? Um, And so and that's the importance of how, you know, taking control of your journey. And also, as I look at my career and how it's progressed, the biggest piece of it has been the connections and the relationships that I've been able to build, being able to reach out to someone and say, hey, can you introduce me to someone here? Well, that's what I love about Indianapolis. So you grew up here, but I'm new here right now, new 20 years old, new, you know, I, I was new at one point. But what I continue to just rant and rave about Indian, what makes me love it and call it home today is that you do have the ability. It is connected enough where you can call someone and say, hey, such and such. Brandy told me to call you, said you'd be great for me to connect with. And people will set time aside, have lunch, connect you to the next person. That is the whole way I got here in my career is literally people connecting me and connecting me and advising me and saying, oh, you need to talk to this person. And literally, the more people learn about what you're trying to do, exactly what you said, the more people know about what you're trying to achieve and how they can help you achieve it, they'll help you achieve it. I think people also need that accountability piece. Know that accountability is a real thing. You can't go out here asking people to connect you and hook you up and use your name and then you not do your piece of it, right? right? (laughs) I mean, that's the accountability, right? Now, let's take a quick break. Get caught up on the state's top business news every business day with the Inside Indiana Business Radio On Demand podcast. Available now at InsideIndianaBusiness.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
We're back with Brandy Davis Handy, Chief Customer Officer of U.S. Utilities at the AES Corporation on this second anniversary episode of the Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. Let's talk about the authenticity and transparency. One of the biggest factors of effective corporate DNI work, particularly with regard to the inclusion piece, is the ability for all people, and you've talked about this within your organization, to feel like they belong and are respected and valued in that corporate environment. You talked already about before you get to putting out DNI statements, you know, fix fix in house first. Look what's going on with your people. So how necessary is transparency and authenticity in order to truly effectuate corporate DEI policies and procedures that advance real goals toward more employee fairness, equity, belonging, and advancement? And how have you personally been able to navigate your own authenticity in the corporate workspace and leadership ranks in a way that also provides your peers and colleagues and, and employees an opportunity to feel like they have the same freedom to be their true selves within your organization? It's it's really important and I'm thinking about a few things that are happening even today within my role at at AES. I serve as the executive sponsor of our Black Professionals Network. I also sit on our global council uh, for DEI. And as I think about the conversations and the work that we're doing internally, you know, one of the places that I I feel that, and I get it, but I know a lot of companies will start with just, let's look at the numbers. How, How are we changing the amount of people that we're bringing into our company from a diversity standpoint? Yeah, That's important. That's a good start. But in in what I fear is what some might also be seeing now, as we said, you know, three years after 2020, when a lot of this started is how many people are you losing? Right. And so if you don't start at the core and figure out how you shift your culture, how do you create a conscious, you know, a conscious inclusion culture? Yeah. Uh, and it's not just about the numbers. It's not a number game of how many people are in your, your corporation, but how many people want to be here? You know, we spend, you know, one third of our lives, if not one half of our lives in the workplace at work. And so you have to make sure that not only is the work that your people are doing meaningful, but how they're doing it and how they're being treated is meaningful and they feel respected. And so if you are not starting there and figuring out how you're going to create a different experience from a culture standpoint, you're not going to win. And so, and and that's what, and I think that a lot of companies are, are doing it, are, are doing it in the right way. And I think they're coming from a great place, but it's so much more than the numbers. Yeah. Yes, it's important. And I, there's so much that we can do to improve our hiring practices. But once you have recruited this diverse workforce, then what? That's right. And are they showing up happy at the workplace? Are they, you know, are they really having a seat at the table? Are they being heard? Do they have safe and open spaces? And that's where I believe the real work has to start right now. That's right. Or are they coming for one or two years, get the experience, get their your name on their resume, and then they're off to the next organization where they actually feel like they can plant long-term roots because the culture is cultivating for them, right? So let me ask you, as a diverse corporate leader, how have you used your personal influence and personification? You just talked about how you just being present has such effect on people. How are you using that influence and your experiences to elevate DEI practices, not just at your company, but also in the community and, and ensuring 
ensuring that your company's employees, again, have a better culture experience at your company than they did five years ago. You just talked about how your company culture has shifted significantly from when you left to when you came back. And I talk to people all the time about corporate DNI initiatives are changing, like they're evolving. The company that you were with or involved with five years ago, probably, Lord willing, has evolved a bit Mm -hmm. in that capacity. And it does make a difference where you find your company on that spectrum. So how are you using your personal influence? How open has your company been to your personal influence around DNI practices, policies, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, for me, it starts with having real conversations and encouraging open dialogue. And so I lead from a place of wanting our people to show up. What is on your mind? What are we doing well? What are we not doing well? What do we need to be doing differently for our customers? And I feel like across the board, all leaders need to be encouraging this sort of dialogue. I also think an important piece and, you know, one thing all companies, I think, could do a little, you know, do a little better is how we partner together. The reality is every company is having this conversation. And so everyone's thinking about what do we need to do differently? How are we partnering to learn best practices. You talked about Indy kind of, I always say Indianapolis is like the biggest, the smallest, like big town. Yeah, that's right. Because we know each other. And, you know, this isn't the outcome of if we are truly embracing the ideals of DEI isn't about just making our companies better. It's about making our community better. And because our people are leaving work every single day and how are they also, as I think about our company values, it's, you know, my company values for me, which is, all together, safety and highest standards, That's those aren't values that I hold, you know, from eight to five. I hold those, right. you know, throughout my life. And I, you know, I hear myself tell my kids all the time, safety first, safety first. It's what we're saying when we're in the walls of AES, but that is how I really need to show up in everyday life. And that's the same as it relates to DEI. And I think that if we're really going to get to the point uh, where we're making advancements that improve outcomes in our community, that we're going to start partnering from a corporate standpoint with each other in very, very different ways. Well, you do a lot of partnering with a lot of organizations, <laughs> corporate, nonprofit, you are very involved in the community, and I'm sure that's part of your role. But I also, I must appreciate, considering that you're from here, it must feel amazing to be so involved with your community. AES is a major sponsor and supporter of so many Indiana community organizations and events. I know you are involved with Gang Gang, Big Brothers and Big Sisters, and so many more. And oftentimes you personally are present and involved on the advisory board, on the administrative board, whatever the case may be. So how critical, and and, and I ask this because, again, talking to Jeff Harrison, talking to Pete Yonkman, some of the other guests I've had on, that we've had real conversations about how how important it is that you do great work within the walls of your corporation, but that must flow out into the community as well. And you've just talked about that. So how critical is that corporate authenticity and diverse representation in the executive leadership and community engagement for buy-in for your corporate DEI initiatives? You know, not just by your employees, but again, by the community. The public, again, is watching. So how do you manage and ensure that your corporate position and objectives also align and support your personal position and objectives around DEI, local and statewide community support, engagement, et cetera. 
Yeah, it's it's so important. As I think about our corporate giving, AES Indiana, we give $2 million in the community every single year. And mm-hmm. so I think that through that giving, we probably have one of the biggest opportunities to influence different outcomes in our community. And so one of the things we're, we're actually taking uh, a look now at our overall corporate giving strategy to see what we can do differently. As I think about the makeup of our community and those $2 million that we're giving, we I, I feel that we We've got the obligation to ensure that those dollars are going to impact everyone in our community and that it's not, you know, sometimes people see our the AES name as it relates to big events. And, you know, everyone loves to go to an event, but our number one focus are where are those dollars going from a programming standpoint. And I want to see the outcomes as it relates to the community. And I think that corporations across the board have an opportunity to, you know, before you hand over that check to ask a few more questions. Right. And so, like, tell me. If this is like, you know, starting with your mission statement, if you're, you mentioned, you know, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Central Indiana, I've been proud to serve on that board for eight years. I currently serve as the board chair. And it's a conversation that we have all of the time. You know, more than 70% of the kids that are on our waiting list are black and brown. And so we've got an obligation. We know that in order to get those kids off of the waiting list and get them matched uh, with a big, that in order to reach that audience, we've got to diversify our board. We've got to make sure that our staff actually reflects our community. We've got to think about our volunteer recruitment in a very different way. You know, one of the biggest hurdles that we've had is to find bigs who look like our littles. And mm-hmm. so a lot of the parents who call in, uh, if you have a young black boy, they're hoping to find a black man who can serve as a mentor. And in order to get different outcomes, we've got to do something different as an organization. And so from a corporate standpoint, uh, it's more than just giving a check. It's more than just having your name and logo on an event. And I think, you know, you mentioned you see me in a lot of places, I feel like that's my obligation to be there at that table and ask those questions, not just ask the questions, but how can I help? How can I bring, whether it's our people at AES Indiana to come volunteer, to be a part of other advisory councils? It's more than I think what some people see as, you know, hey, they're giving a lot of money in the community. The reason why we do it is because we want this to be a better place, not just for our people, but our customers to live and play. And so I think that we play a big role from a corporate standpoint as relates to corporate giving, but we can do so much more. And it's if we go beyond just the writing of the check. Yeah, absolutely. Getting into the community, right? It's not just enough to write a check. Pete Youngman said, you know, you've got to go where the people are. You've got to actually get into the community. I think that's um, very, very important. So as we begin to wrap up, I want to ask you your vantage point again, as a diverse executive, as one of the largest Indiana utilities and as an Indiana native. So you've got history here. You you know this place. What do you believe to be some of the greatest advances that Indiana companies have made in the, you know, short term, recent past as a collective around DNI really catalyzing and implementing diverse and inclusive practices and workforce policies that should be reflected in all Hoosier businesses? And then what do you believe are some of the ongoing challenges, some of the largest challenges or even some setbacks that Indiana companies have recently had to deal with and may still be dealing with that may be preventing or at least slowing down improvements and real progress and advancement on the DEI front? 
Yeah, I mean, as it relates to, I mean, there are some things that we are doing well across the board, not just AES Indiana, across the corporate landscape. And I think if, you know, going through some of your podcasts and some of the leaders that you've had on here is a testament to some of the great work that's happening. To me, the biggest opportunity is how do we go beyond the conversations that we're having today? How do we make sure that we're not having these conversations mm. 10 years from now? Mm-hmm. And I always give, you know, I don't know not necessarily an analogy, the story of I've got two kids. I've got a 14-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son. Uh, my daughter is really interested in STEM. She wants to be an engineer. My son wants to play football, basketball, and baseball. He wants to do all three. And it's interesting watching him and the the culture that surrounds sports. And so, uh, and not just because I'm his mom, I think he's pretty good, but I'll watch him at games and, you know, other parents or coaches from other teams will come up to my son at games. They'll come up to me and my husband husband? What high school is he going to? We've been getting that question since he was seven. I don't know. You know, I don't know. Like, Why is that important? Um, You know, what camp is he going to? Like people are legitimately looking at him now and saying, how how do we get him in this camp? How do we get him to this high school? Where is he thinking about college? I don't have those conversations with my 10-year-old Black daughter who wants to be an engineer. Mm. And so as I think about the companies Mm. uh, in this city who are saying, hey, I can't, you know, we can't attract enough talent. We don't have enough female Black engineers. What are these companies doing to reach the 14-year-old girl who's sitting right there who's saying, I want to be an engineer? And so I think that there is, you know, there's a lot more that we can do at a very younger age. We need to be in the elementary schools, like not just high school, get them them early. And so uh, one of the things that we've got to focus on it at AES and that we are doing across the board globally is how do we have more partnerships with organizations where we can reach kids at a younger age? You have an interest uh, in this sort of field. Let's talk about it early on. That's right. And then you stay with them until after college and then you've got your workforce of the future. And yeah. so there are absolutely tangible things that we can be doing today to make sure that we're not having this conversation 10, 15 years from now. Yeah, like we have been the last 10, 15, 20 years, right? That's That's absolutely right. And certainly I can appreciate from the STEM perspective, your analogy around your son and your STEM focused daughter, because you're absolutely right. We know as women in STEM, by the time they get to middle school, if you haven't engaged them into STEM by that point, they begin to fall out. And by high school, they're over it and they're thinking about the next thing. So you absolutely have to engage them and interest them and grab them early on and then help navigate because STEM and navigating STEM career paths is very specific. You need help navigating that to know what to do next, what schools to apply to, what camps and programs to do in the summer to help you be competitive, et cetera. So I think that's very, very valuable. And I think that basically sums up to what we mentioned previously, which is get in the community, right? It's not necessarily just enough to write a check, but we need your expertise. We need your talent. We need your visibility in the community. So these diverse students and emerging professionals of the future can see you and know that that's a real path and stay on the path to get there. And I think that's extremely important. I love the way you do it. You you are out there amongst the community and the people all the time. And we appreciate all that you do to continue to be community focused. 
as we come to our last question, I'm just going to ask you what two or three tips or tools or resources would you suggest for any Indiana leader in any corporation, utilities, energy, or beyond that, who are serious about, again, making their work environments, their leadership ranks more diverse, more equitable, more inclusive, such that we can retain diverse talent here in Indiana and in our city of Indianapolis? Yeah, I would say it start first start with your people. And so if you're not having the open and honest dialogue about what it's like to be an employee here, what would you want to do differently? You know, is there a sense of belonging? You've got to start there. And, you know, as you think about your diversity statements, your strategies, your plan, uh, it's not a strategy or plan that is developed and executed by one person. And so, you know, one of the great things that I've seen happen in the last three years is you've seen kind of the emergence of the role of the chief diversity officer, but it is not up to that one person in a company to change the culture of a company. Mm. And it, it goes from all levels. And so I think that having those conversations inter- internally and making sure that they are inclusive and intentional is really the first piece. And I would say um, second is, you know, we've got to maintain, I, I think that we do a great job in Central Indiana as it relates to partnerships. We need to partner more. Uh, and so once you've had that conversation and once you're starting to build that plan, we've got to work together. And that is happening in places. You mentioned Jeff Harrison. I think the work that under Jeff's leadership at Citizens that's happening uh, is outstanding. There are some things that AES Indiana did in the last year in partnership with Citizens, whereas we think about some of the hardships that our customers face in paying their bills. We had a campaign this year uh, to promote the resources available for whether it's payment assistance. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is, if you're having issues paying uh, your electricity bill, you're probably having issues paying other bills. And so it's not just about, you know, what AES Indiana is putting out there, but how can companies come together to create better outcomes for those who are living here in central Indiana? And yeah. so I think that there is opportunity for uh, for more of that. And then the last piece is absolutely, we've got to leverage these community partnerships. We have to support these community organizations who are doing some really incredible work. And it's going to go beyond having someone just sitting on their board or writing a check. Yeah. And we've got to find more ways for those in your company to get engaged, be boots on the ground, because I think that that's honestly going to be the only way that we're going to advance as a community. I thank you so much for all of these nuggets. This has been so helpful, so inspiring. And again, particularly as an Indiana native, I think it just rings even more true to how you have continued to improve our community, be representative in our community. And we thank you for all you doing. Thank you for being here on the second anniversary episode of the Freedom Forum. We're so glad to have you. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you again to Brandy Davis Handy, and thanks to you for joining us on this 24th episode of IBJ's Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. Please come back next month for another conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the Central Indiana business community. Thank you.